Our final Advent reading comes from Luke chapter 1. We'll be reading from verse 57 to the end of the chapter. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 856. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now it's been a little while for us uh, during this Advent season since we have been with Zechariah. If you remember, he's been mute ever since he encountered the angel Gabriel in the temple. And it's only after he confirms that the child's name will be John that all of a sudden he can speak again. His tongue is loosed. And what does he speak? He blesses God. He speaks blessings to God. Now, if you had been made mute for some time, you can probably imagine feeling a bit angry about it, right? A bit upset, maybe a little bitter that you had been kept from speaking for months at this point, many months. And yet, that's not what he does. He simply praises God. And what did he say? Well, much like Mary he sings. He doesn't just say it, he sings it. 
It's poetic. It's beautiful. It's an outburst of song. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, just like the prophets of old. And notice a few things about the prophecy that he then sings. Just like Mary, it emphasizes the praise of God, right? Blessed be the Lord for what he is doing. It glories in his name because the Lord had remembered his covenant promises. You see the name David show up here. You see the name Abraham show up. Zechariah, just like Mary, sees these incredible happenings that are going on all as the way that God is fulfilling the covenant that he made with Abraham. It's God's upholding his promise, his oath. It's God continuing to work out this plan of redemption that had begun so long before. But now it's heightened, it's elevated. Right? It's, it's as though they're on the cusp of that great salvation that was promised. And he sees his son's place in that great work, that his son, John, will be a prophet of the Most High. John, we've already said, was a man sent to prepare the way for Christ, a man who would lay the groundwork, so to speak, who would make a highway in the wilderness by which the Lord would come. Well, how exactly does one prepare a people to meet the Lord, right? If the Lord is coming, if he is about to arrive, how do you prepare people for that? Well, he speaks the knowledge of salvation, a knowledge of the forgiveness of sins. He calls them to repentance, to be forgiven, so that in the presence of the Lord, they will be properly humbled. This is all an outworking of the mercy of God. Zechariah says this is because of the Lord's tender mercy. What's his tender mercy like? It's like a sunrise. Verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now I want you to hold on to that image of a sunrise, of light shining on those in darkness. Zechariah is playing off of earlier prophecies, speaking the same thing that we're going to hear a little bit later from the prophet Isaiah. It's an apt metaphor, sitting in the dark, not sure where you're going, and then suddenly the sun comes. The shadow of death is cast away. The sun gives life, but it also guides. It allows you to see where you're going. It allows you to see the path that you're to walk down. And that's what God is doing even now, according to Zechariah. Now, before we move on from this passage, jump back to verse 65. It says that when people heard about this, it says fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him. This is something that you see throughout redemptive history. When God is at work and the people don't totally understand, they don't know all that he's doing, 
right? We can't see everything. You don't know everything that the Lord is doing. And yet, when you see his hand, especially at times like this, what are you to do? Well, what do the people do? They laid these things up in their hearts. They treasured them in their hearts. They were expecting God to do something. They maybe didn't know everything he was going to do. But they knew that God was on the move. And so they treasure that up. They, they remember it. So that when they see what God ends up doing, they are prepared all the more to praise him. The sermon text comes from the Old Testament today in Isaiah chapter 9. If you want to turn with me, we'll read Isaiah 9, 2 to 7. It'll be a familiar text, especially this time of year. I'm sure you've heard it many times already. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. We said that uh, Zechariah understood that John was preparing the way for a sunrise for light to appear. He understood that he stood at the moment of fulfillment, at the advent of something new. He knew that he stood where Isaiah's prophecy looked toward. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness On them has light shone. After darkness, light. Now in the context of Isaiah, God had just announced judgment that was coming on Israel. The lights, so to speak, were going to be put out. The sun would be darkened. The moon would not give its light. The stars of heaven, so to speak, would fall to the earth. All of the luminaries, all the sources of light by which the people could see in front of them, they were all going to be taken away in judgment because of their sin. And these rebellious and sinful people would be taken into exile. 
here in this context, Isaiah's warning about the coming of the Assyrians. God's chosen people would ultimately be left in rubble or, even worse, taken off into exile. They would be decimated. They would be left in the dark. And that was the the physical exile of the people, right? They would physically be taken somewhere else, physically judged. It was an exile that they would never fully return from. But even darker was the spiritual exile that brought that judgment about. They had cut themselves off from life. They had done what all of us have done, what all of humanity has done time and time again, starting with our first parents. And they had cut themselves off from the living and true God, the source of all life. They had gone the way of the world and been blinded to the truth. Now imagine that image of people that are walking around in darkness. Kids, I want all the kids in here All the kids, I want you to close your eyes quick. Close your eyes and just think about how dark it is with your eyes closed. Now imagine trying to live when it was that dark. You're walking around, you can't see anything, you can't see anybody else. That's what's going on here. Now have you ever been in true darkness? Right? Not not the darkness of night where you still have you know, stars or the moon. You've still got some residual light from the city around you. But if you've been in true darkness, think of the darkness if you've ever been cave diving deep down in a cave. I've only been cave diving once before, but being down in, in that kind of dark where there's, there's actually just no light, it's not possible for light to penetrate there. It's almost palpable. Right? You can almost feel it. That's what thick darkness means. Right? When, the, when the scripture uses this idea of thick darkness, it's, it's almost tangible. You can't see light, and everything else changes in that kind of an environment. Right? Sound is different. You don't realize how much you rely upon your sight, how much you're made to live by the light. Well, these people, spiritually speaking, are totally in the dark. They're trying to to live in that. They've walked in darkness. right? They've lived in it. That the path of life has always been dark, in a way. That's where the people of Israel... Are, and that's where they were on the day that Christ was born. But after darkness came light. He was the light, the sunrise. The people who have walked in darkness, who have lived in the darkness of their own making, they now have light. Like the sun rising upon them, or breaking through the thick black clouds of a storm. God says, so to speak, let there be light. And there's light. Now what's that like? How do you describe 
what that would be like, that kind of joyous moment where all of a sudden there's light again. It would be terrifying. Right? It would be shocking at first. Probably it would, it would be a little confusing at first. Your eyes wouldn't be ready for it. It would be like sitting quietly in a dark field and suddenly the sky lights up like it's daytime and there's angels all around singing. Right? It would just be shocking. That's a bit how Isaiah is describing it. And he likens it to joy and the, the outpouring of joy that you would have at harvest time. Right? Like the joy at the harvest. Harvest meant life. Right? It meant you had food enough to make it through the harder and darker times of the year. Now it's hard for some of us because we're a little bit disconnected from those older rhythms and seasons of nature. And so it's, it's hard for us a little bit to understand just the, the incredible joy that you would feel when you're, you're done. The harvest is brought in and you can just relax and celebrate with all of your neighbors, right? Celebrate with the whole neighborhood that finally we have enough. We know that we're ready, especially at a harvest that was abundant. Right? You would know that you truly have been taken care of. And that's what Isaiah says this light is like. The outpouring of joy as at a harvest. That's what this light is to the people. It's light and life and joy and peace. And what is the light? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. What could better encapsulate that kind of sudden joy that comes with the light shining upon them than the birth of a child? Right after waiting and after the pains of labor, finally the moment has come and the child arrives. Now this is more than a metaphor. This is the promise. It's, you could say that the light shining... The joy of the harvest, these are metaphors of something. Well, they're metaphors of this. Right? This is what the prophecy is. That a child is going to be born. And of course it is. Right? Of course that's at this. And we've read over and over throughout this Advent time of this narrative. Of this longing and desiring for a child to be born through barrenness. And then God gives life. Throughout Isaiah, there's this growing prophetic movement building on that idea that a child will be born. Well, what will he be? What kind of child? This child of promise. A child that the Lord himself provides. He will be Emmanuel. He will be God with us. What will he be like? Well, it says here that the government shall be upon his shoulder. He will be a great ruler, in other words. He will be a king. 
but he will be so much more than a king. How do we know? Well, we're given his name, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time, in the name that's given to this child. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's his name that he will be given. There are four parts. Each one is broken up into two different words. And all of them are both royal. They tell us of his royalty. And they're also divine. This will be a divine king. So what will this child be? What will his name be? Well, first, wonderful counselor. You could translate it that he will be a wonder of a counselor. It wouldn't be a good translation because then you don't have the nice parallel of the name. But that's the idea, that his counsel will be wonderful. It speaks to his wisdom. Now, a counselor in the ancient world wasn't uh, someone that you go to with particular life struggles, although in a sense maybe that's true. It's, it's more so speaking of the kind of counsel that a king would seek out to make decisions for the whole of his people. Right? You would seek a counselor for the most difficult of decisions, the life and death decisions, where the whole of the kingdom is left waiting in the balance. The kinds of decisions that are going to affect everybody. And this child will be the kind of counselor that will be known for his wisdom. For his counsel, for his teaching. After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. This child, this king, he will display wisdom far beyond what is expected, even for a king. Kings were supposed to be wise, and yet he will be so much more. He will be a wonderful counselor. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. This child would be born a king with great wisdom. Now wisdom is, like I said, it's something kings were supposed to have. It's it's associated with royalty. The entire book of Proverbs is, is a king training up his son in what it's going to take to be a king, right? The kind of wisdom that you need to rule well. Wisdom, then, is a kingly attribute, but even more so, it's a divine attribute. Wisdom was with God in the beginning. Everything that he made, he ordered according to his wisdom. And this child will have that wisdom. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. 
Second, his name will be Mighty God. This is no mere child. He's El Gabor, God the Mighty, or God Almighty, the Mighty God. This child will have the very power or might of God. This could be speaking of him as one who has the power of God. Right? We read it right away. We know it's speaking of, of something divine. But, but it could just be that he, he is a great warrior with great power and might. But we'll see that truly this is saying more than that. Now remember, in this context in Isaiah... If the people have just heard about the judgment that's coming against them, of the Assyrians, right, the, the, the greatest empire of their day, right, the strongest military might, the, this is the scariest people to go up against in battle. And they're coming. They are the most brutal of people. And Israel was going to be given into their hands. If that is part of the darkness that they're under, then what better way to express to them the blessing that this child is going to be than that he will have the very power of God, the very might of God himself. He doesn't just have power, though. It's more than that. He's given the name Mighty God. It's it's his name. It's it's his very nature. It's who he is. He is like a king in might. But it's not just earthly might. It's the might of the Lord himself. Let me read you a couple other contexts where this name... For the Lord appears. So you get a sense of of how much power this entails. Deuteronomy 10.17 says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. El Gabor. Jeremiah 32.18 says this, You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them, O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. The might and power that's described in this name is the kind of might and power that sets God in a category of his own. He is God of gods and Lord of lords. He's not one among many. His power is not comparable to others. Okay, it's not saying, look, he's so strong that he's just going to eke out victory when he goes to battle. Right? He'll win, but he'll just barely win. No, it's saying he has all power. Right? He, he is that strong. He is that powerful. He is that mighty. The child who will be born will be like this mighty god right remember this child is born unto us right unto us is given god himself god's very power so this one coming this child 
the Christ will be full of wisdom. He will have all might. The third name given is everlasting father. Now it gets hard, you know, some, some want to read this passage and they want to say, well, it's not really speaking of, of one who's going to be divine. And technically, there are ways you can maybe finagle around that up to this point. It gets harder and harder. His name shall be, the child's name shall be everlasting father. This is a divine king. A child of the people and yet who is held up to be like God himself, everlasting father. Now, kings were often spoken of as fathers in the ancient world. He was a father, in a sense, to his people, the king was. So too will this child king be. And the term father is a term of of great honor, right, Of, of authority, and at the same time of intimacy. Your father is the one that you originate from, whom you have the deepest loyalty to and affection for. It's both intimate and honorable. And this king with all wisdom and power will also have the love and position of a father toward his children. Of course, the term father is attributed to God himself. And here we have to make that connection because he is called everlasting father. This is not a father who will come to an end, who will fail, who will die. This is a father to the people that will last. And what's amazing about this is the fact that a father, so to speak, is the author of his child, right? The, The father is where a child originates and comes from. And we're talking about a child of the people, right? So so a child that is born from the people will be their source, right? Will be where they originate from. Isn't that striking? This child will be born and yet all of the people ultimately come from him. Who could this be but the Lord himself? Right? God with us, a child and yet a divine king. The Lord himself come in the flesh. And we see this too with this last name that's given. That he will be called Prince of Peace. In some ways, this is probably the central Title. It all kind of builds to this point, but it's also probably the, the primary name that's given. Obviously, they're all connected. They all build on each other. But why would I say that this is central? Because the, the primary promise in this passage is a promise of peace. If we go back to verse 5, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. There's this idea that all war, right, all the 
the, the things that you associate with battle, that's all going to be burned. That's all going away. What does verse 7 say? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So the primary promise that God gives here is the promise of peace. Peace on earth. No end to the peace. How do you get there? Will you get there through the prince of peace? The ruler who brings peace. Apart from whom there is no peace. John Calvin says that life without this king is restless and miserable. Right? He is the one that, that steps in and changes our restless and miserable lives and brings true peace. Now Isaiah is speaking to a people that knows death and suffering. They know a lack of peace. They know the constant worry and anxiety about what tomorrow might bring. Like the animosity and hatred and violence in the world, the, the desire for revenge. They're very aware of those. And you could say that they're aware of it if for no other reason than just the relationship between Israel and Assyria that's coming. But think even just on the more localized level within Israel itself, within the families in Israel themselves. Think in your own family. Think in your own nation. Right? Just the, the, the restlessness, the misery of life, the corruption. The crime, the violence, the disappointment, the anxiety. That isn't even to say anything about the personal lack of peace that all experience. Right? The spiritual darkness in each of us. The guilt that won't let you rest. The antagonism that you have with others or yourself or with God. All of this can be summed up in a lack of peace. Right? What is missing in all of that is peace, is shalom, is things being put right the way that they're supposed to be. Well, this is the prince of peace. A king who brings peace. Now, that might be the opposite of what one would expect Right, of a coming king, a, a king who has all of the power of God. He is a, a mighty warrior. And what he's going to be known for is peace. There will be no end to his peace. So these are not just four titles. These are his name. Right? This is the name of the child-born king. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Core to his very character and nature will be complete wisdom and absolute power and perfect love and true peace. A child. 
A child will be all of these things. The answers to the cries and the prayers of God's people. The solution to their sin and God's judgment and the exile that they were going into. The answer to the darkness in each of them, in each of you. The answer would be a child. And of course, we know this is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one who we celebrate today and every Sunday and every day. This is the one. Why? Because his light has shone upon us. Because that sun has already risen. Because we were in darkness, but God has shown his light on us. The light of the goodness of the glory of God in the face of the Savior. He was true wisdom. He had all power. He, he upheld all things, was the source of all life and all things, even in his earthly dwelling. And he brought peace to all who would humble themselves before him. True peace on earth. Now Zechariah, in seeing his son as a forerunner of the light, he knew this was coming. And what Isaiah promised was finally happening. And Israel had even up to that day, right, even up to that time been exiled. They had been exiled off to Assyria and not all of them returned, ever. Later on, some would be exiled to Babylon and some would return. But the darkness of the judgment that the people faced in Isaiah's day, uh, it really never went away. It didn't stop then. It never came to a complete end. That's because the, the darkness itself wasn't dealt with. The circumstances may be changed, but something had to be done about that fundamental darkness. right? And it wasn't a darkness that was true of Israel Alone, It wasn't a problem that needed to be fixed for Israel alone. It was something that all of humanity needed, that each of us needs. Peace. That's why Jesus came, to bring that peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is all the Lord's doing. This is all his grace. He sent his son out of his grace. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let me pray. Lord God, would you shine your light upon us once again, that you would give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As we meditate upon your birth, Lord, upon your life and ministry, upon your divinity and your royalty, would you teach us how we are to respond as those in need of your light, as those freed from the darkness 
as those who are your loyal subjects, as your creation, responding to the coming of its King. Please help us, Lord. Fill us with your Spirit. Give us your insight. Teach us your ways, we pray all in Christ's name. Amen.